past week, uh, my wife was undertaking what I think is her favorite task of the whole year. Her favorite task is that moment where uh, my wife gets to open up all of the Christmas cards and she gets to display them around uh, the living room. That is, I think, uh, my wife's favorite time of the year. She absolutely loves doing this with great care. Well, as we all go through our Christmas cards this year, isn't it true that we find a recurring theme? Yes, as we open these Christmas cards, there's bound to be some Christmas cards with the theme of peace. Isn't that right? You know, peace on earth and goodwill and men and so forth. We'll find that. We'll also find in our Christmas cards the theme of love. That's kind of inevitable. Uh, but out there leading the pack, I think, in our Christmas cards will be the theme of joy. Joy gets everywhere at Christmas, doesn't it? Joy is in our Christmas cards. Joy is in some of the tunes and songs that we sing. It gets everywhere. Now, when you begin to analyze that for a moment, it's a little bit strange, isn't it? Joy at Christmas. Because let's face it, uh, Christmas in London can be a little bit uh, cold and a little bit wet. And uh, Christmas can be a little bit expensive for us all. Christmas can be, even for some, a particularly lonely time of year. So how is it that we can talk about joy and joy at Christmas? How does that work? Uh, Well, this morning, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to, for a short time together, we're going to consider what is the very first announcement to mankind of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we study this, what we're going to see is just why there is, but also why there can be for you joy, real joy, this festive season. So joy at Christmas this morning. So friends, can I invite you to do this with me? Could you please turn in your Bibles to the second of the two readings that we read together? So it was in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 and and verse 8, that portion of scripture there. Now, what we're going to do, if it's your first time with us, first time perhaps even in a church, what we're going to do just now is just try and highlight a few things that those short verses uh, teach us. Okay, so the first thing uh, that we need to appreciate or consider is the nature of of this message of joy, the nature of this message of joy. Okay, let me throw it out there. I know it's just a guess, uh, but I'm guessing that most of us are probably familiar with the story that we're dealing with today. Probably most of us have heard it at some stage before, the birth of Jesus. Um, Most of us know that at the beginning of Luke's gospel, there's actually two births. There's the birth of John the Baptist that's then followed by, yes, the birth of Jesus. Now, at the birth of John the Baptist, you had a message that was announced. And then we see that phenomena repeated again here. So there's one birth, a message. Another birth, another message. Now, let me just read the message to you that accompanies Jesus' birth. So it's this. A voice calls out into the night sky... 
here's your message that we're going to consider. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So you see what it is? It's a message, but it's a message of joy. So what's this? What is this joy? What's this message? Well, earlier this week, uh, London School of Economics, LSE, um, they released a survey on happiness and joy. I reckon probably a lot of you saw this. Um, it was all over the place. It was in the... Uh, it was on the BBC website and Sky News and all this sort of stuff. The survey of happiness and joy at LSE. Now, you know, part of the survey was fairly negative and predictable, maybe, uh, because the survey said stuff like uh, money. You know, they an- analyse everything and they conclude that money doesn't actually make people happy. So you're like, well, tell us something we don't already know. Okay, money doesn't make us happy. So it's kind of, there's a negative side to it. There was also a kind of positive side to this survey as well. Because LSE tell us that actually two things, when you analyze it, two things do make people happy. One is good health. That makes people happy. And the other thing was new relationships. That also apparently makes people happy. Now, here's the thing. Every one of us in this room know that even those two things, they only bring us temporary happiness, don't they? Like, what happens with good health? What always happens with good health? It fades. We get old. We get creaky. We get frail, okay? New relationships, what happens? One way or another, eventually what happens with a new relationship? It ends. You see, even these things that make people happy, from LSE, they only bring temporary happiness. Now listen to this assertion. The joy offered in Luke chapter 2 is entirely different to that. This joy that we're going to talk about just now is a lasting joy. It's a permanent joy. Now maybe you're saying, well, why? <laughs> that's, that's a pretty bold claim. How can anyone claim that? Well, let's look at it. I mean, consider first of all who it is that brings this message of joy. Look at verse 9 with me. Who brings the message of joy? Who is it? It's an angel of the Lord. An angel brings a message of joy. Now, as soon as I say that to you, if you're a Londoner, I know where you go in your mind. Right? So it's an angel that brings this joy. Where do you go? Where are you? You go to Regent Street, don't you? On a sort of dark Christmas night, and you're looking up at those quite incredible, elaborate Christmas decorations of the angel. Right? That's what you're thinking. Maybe. Well, think less of a sort of flying female form in this angel. Think more of a male angel on a hill, because this is most likely the angel Gabriel that appeared in chapter 1. But do you see the point? This is no ordinary message. Do you see? An angel is involved in bringing this message. Like, this is something 
otherworldly, isn't it? Something supernatural going on here. And then you've got to pay attention to the next bit of information that we're told. So an angel appears to bring this message. What are we told then? That the glory of the Lord shone all around. Now what's that? Glory of the Lord. I know uh, most of you here, I know that uh, most of you went to Sunday school. And even if you didn't, and even if you haven't read it uh, recently... Uh, you perhaps know how the people of Israel were led through the desert in the Old Testament. Do you remember that story? How were they led? There was a pillar of cloud during the day, wasn't there? And then at night, what was there? A pillar of fire. Okay, now that was the glory of God. Something seen throughout the Old Testament as this bright and Intense light. Now here's what we need to appreciate. The glory of God was not just something that God sent into the world. The glory of God was something that actually showed that God was present himself in a special way at that moment. So do you see it? The very fact that on this hill with this angel, the glory of God is shown. What does that tell us? It shows us that God was involved in this message of joy. Do you see, it's not just ordinary happiness we're talking about. This was something divinely originated. This is something divinely transmitted even. So let me state the obvious Before we move on, everyone in here, every one of us wants to be happy this Christmas. We're all wanting joy at Christmas, aren't we? Of course we do. Well, we need to understand that joy, real joy, is not found at the bottom of a bottle at Christmas. I think we all know that. But real joy is not even found in time of work at Christmas. Maybe we, a lot of us pin our hopes on that. I'm going to get a break. I'll be wonderful. Joy, real joy, is not even found in spending time with family at Christmas. As special as that is and as, just as pleasurable, precious as that is. Real joy, and I'm talking about true, lasting joy. It's actually only found in this good news that God is unpacking before you today. And I think that's why the angel phrases it the way that he does. Because did you notice this? He doesn't say, I bring you news of joy. He says, I bring you good news of great joy. Do you see it? That an eternal lasting God is involved at this point means that it is an eternal, lasting joy that is offered at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the nature of this message, joy. Okay, we have to notice something else in this portion of Scripture as well. Let's notice the substance of this message of joy. So you see it so far, we've been told of the availability of a joy that is endorsed by God. So maybe we're asking, all right, what's this joy? What's this good news? What's it involve around? What is this joy? I don't know. Maybe you see 
um, in chapter 2 here. Maybe you see how the portion of Scripture works. Do you? Um, no sooner is the joy announced than it is explained. So the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy. He announces it and then says, for, and he explains it, for a child has been born. Isn't that interesting? Don't you think that's interesting? That the joy is intrinsically tied to the birth of one solitary human being. This joy is tied, it's bound to one life. So you see, surely, the question that we've got to ask. What's the question we've got to ask? Who's the child? Like, okay, if joy is bound to this child, what's so special about this baby? Who's the kid? Who's the child? Well, maybe you remember just how crazy the world went a couple of years ago at uh, the birth of Prince George. The world just went crazy. Uh, you had multitudes of journalists and cameramen stationed outside uh, the hospital waiting for news about this new royal. Just everywhere. And you, you could walk past a bookies. You walk past a bookmaker's, a betting shop in any street. And instead of odds on football results or odds on horse racing, what did they have? Do you remember it if you were in London at the time? It was odds on the name of this new royal. Five to one it was going to be Henry or stuff like that. Okay, And what did the palace do? The palace kept us waiting. Because what they actually did was they announced the birth of a child. They said, a son's been born. But they kept us waiting to find out the name. Okay? Now, what did we have? Okay, we didn't have the personal name of this child. What did we have? We knew the titles that this little boy would have, didn't we? We didn't know his personal name at that point, but we did know that he would be HRH, that he would be His Royal Highness. We didn't know his name, but we did know that he would be the Duke of Cambridge, I think it is. Now, isn't that what we're dealing with? Isn't that a very similar circumstance to what we've got in Luke chapter 2? Now, think with me. What is announced at this point is the birth of a child. And you and I, at this point here, don't have his name. You see, it's not till later we know his personal name. We don't have his name. What are we given in Luke chapter 2? We don't have his personal name. But we do have this child's titles. And there's three of them. Do you see what they are in verse 11? This child born to Mary is declared a saviour. It's his first title. He's saviour. A, a, a title often designated to God in the Old Testament. So he's a saviour. What else is he? He's not HRH. He's not the Duke of Cambridge. What's the next one? He's also Christ. Meaning... The anointed one, the Messiah, this great deliverer that the Jews had been expecting. So he is a savior. He is Christ. And then do you see the third and most wonderful title here? This child is also called Lord. A designation not always, but so often associated with Yahweh, with the God of heaven and earth. 
So friends, this morning I've got a, a question for you. Do you see why it is that the birth of this child is such good news? Do you see it? Friends, on this life, all the strands of biblical prophecy would converge. And through this little baby's life, scores of men and scores and scores of, of women would be reconciled to God. And in this life, this little baby's life, all the forces of evil and darkness would be forever destroyed. You see it? The captives would be liberated spiritually. The sinners would be freed. And, and how? And how? Because, listen, it's titles. He's Savior. He's Christ. He's, he's Lord. Do you see it? Why is this a message of joy? Because he would go on to be named. He would receive a personal name. And he would be called Jesus. Why? For he would save his people from their sin. That's why this is a message of good news. So we see the nature and then we see the substance. A third thing that I want us to notice in this portion of scripture are the recipients of this message of joy. Because again, maybe we're asking, okay, there's joy here, there's good news, but for whom is this? It's centered on this life, this baby Jesus. For whom is this good news? Is it for Christians? Is this a message of good news for Jews? For Muslims? For whom? Maybe you think that question's answered by what the angel says here. The angel says, um, I bring you good news, great joy for all the people. For all the people. I uh, want us to be a little bit more specific than that. You maybe noticed that in verse 11, the angel says, Today is born in the town of David a saviour. But in fact, he doesn't quite say that, does he? He says, today in the town of David is born a saviour to you. So my question is, who is he speaking to? This is great news of a saviour, and it's a saviour to you. Who, at this point, is the angel speaking to? You know the answer as well as I do. We've just sung it in a hymn. He's speaking to shepherds. Um, I wonder, have you ever paused to think about how incredibly strange that is? Isn't it? Weird. That the birth of the Son of God, the angel doesn't go to a temple to speak to high priests. And the angel doesn't go to a palace to speak to kings about the Son of God. That the birth of the Son of God, the angel goes where? To a hill in the darkness and speaks to shepherds. It is strange, isn't it? Isn't it peculiar? Isn't it a bit weird? It's weird. But I think it tells us a few things, okay? One, it tells us, see this message of joy. It's not just for religious people. Because let me tell you, shepherds were not religious people. In fact, shepherds were not even allowed to be part of the religious community at the time. 
See, the Jewish authorities viewed them, shepherds, as being ceremonially unclean. They're unclean shepherds because of the hours they had to keep, the jobs they had to do in looking after sheep. They were not even allowed to be part of the religious community. And maybe that's how you view yourself today. Is it? I mean, did you think of yourself today as not being a religious person? You're in here this morning, why? I don't know why you're here. Maybe you were invited to come along today. Maybe you even received one of those flyers. But you certainly came in here not thinking that you were religious. You didn't come in here wanting to... Uh, take seriously this news of salvation in Jesus Christ. You're not a religious person. But don't you see what God is doing right now? As he did here on the hill overlooking Bethlehem, he comes here and he brings to you what? A news of good joy. Great joy in Christ Jesus. He brings it to you, someone who is not like the shepherd, someone who is not a religious person. He says, this joy can be for you. Then think about this, right? That it comes to shepherds means that this message of joy is for wicked people. And I'll try not to be too crude here, uh, but shepherds, again, in the ancient world, (laughs) dodgy geezers. Basically, dodgy books, shepherds. If you were a shepherd in the first century world, you were not even allowed to testify in court. You weren't allowed to do it. Why not? Because everybody knew you could not be trusted. All right? Everyone knew that about shepherds. Shepherds had a reputation for theft, for dishonor. These were bad guys, shepherds. And maybe... Again, that's where you see yourself this morning, is it? You come to this church and you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, it's all right. See this message about God and Jesus. It's all right for these good people around me and churchy type people, but it's not a message for me, you know, because I like a drink. And I've done some pretty awful things in my life. And if that guy up the front knew what my life was like, he would know this isn't a message for me. I'm a bad person. What if we just sung? What do we sing at this time of year? What is the words of that carol? The shepherds first saw the light. Do you see it? God takes this message of joy and he brings it to people like that. And he says, this is for you. This can be a message of joy this Christmas for you. And then the last of these, that it comes to shepherds, it shows us that this message of joy is for very busy people. And I think we get this wrong at Christmas. Okay, look at verse 8. So I'm asking you what the shepherds were doing. What are the shepherds doing? Now, we've just sung, I noticed this as we were singing it. We sang in a carol a minute ago. We sang, while shepherds watch their flocks by night, all seated on the ground. Okay? And scripture says they were out in the field keeping watch over the flocks. Now, this is where I think we go wrong. We go with the carol that they're just chilling out. (laughs) The shepherds all seated on the ground. 
you know, that oh, keep and watch over the flocks. What does that mean? Well, they're sitting, they got a traveling rug out and a flask of coffee and just, you know, I'm just looking over. That's not what it was like. I mean, think about that. Like shepherds having to keep watch over a big flock of sheep at night in the ancient world. Like, think about that. Like the treacherous terrain and... And the wild animals in that part of the world and other dodgy shepherds try to nick their sheep. You see it? These guys were busy. They were hard. They weren't sitting on the ground. They were working as God came to them and revealed his good news. Isn't that you? Isn't it? This time of year, we're all flat out. We can hardly even think. Such is the busyness of this time of year. And you see what God is doing this morning. In amongst all of that frenzy, he comes and he shows us where there is rest. The shepherds show us so many things. I think, number one, they show us that this message of joy is a message of joy that can be for you. I'll end with... The last thing here, the response to this message of joy. Because we've got to, you can't, you can't deal with this portion of scripture and not notice the second statement that the angel makes here. You see it in verse 12. The angel speaks now of a sign. Now, it's, it's a confirmation that what the angel is saying is true. Do you see it? It's like a sign, a confirmation that uh, this is not just a messianic proclamation. I want to show you that it's true. So what's the confirmation, the sign? Do you see? That should the shepherds leave the hill, go into Bethlehem, they're going to find something, they're going to see something. Now look at the detail of it. It's a baby they find. They will find a baby and they will know that this is true because he is wrapped in cloth He's wrapped in cloth and he is lying in a manger. Now, we're, we're ending with this. We're closing with this. So notice with me the picture that you've got at the end of this portion of Scripture. <laughs> that, uh, would you imagine it if you can? At that very moment, to this solitary angel are added, bang, an army. And that's what that word host means. So at that moment, an army of other angels appear. Imagine the light gives the darkness in the sky. And what do they do? And do you see what we're told? Man, they sing. There is at that moment this instantaneous, glorious cacophony of noise. All of these army of angels at that moment. And they're lifting up their voices. And they're praising the name of God. God! And I want you to see that that there is the proper and due response from you to this message of joy. Do you see it? That in light of what God has done in sending his son into the world, what do we do? We bow our knee. We repent of our sin. God has done this. But what do we do then? We join all of our voices to that heavenly choir. 
That the proper due response to God at Christmas is what is to praise Him. To praise Him for what He's done. And you see why we must do it. Because this child would not just stay a child. He would grow up. And listen, he would lead a life that is entirely absent of any wrongdoing at all. Perfect life. That he would then go to the cross. And what would he do? He would take to himself all of the sin and all of the guilt and all of the shame of his people. He would hang on the cross and he would die. And then I ask you this. What would happen there? Listen to me. That the one who began his life wrapped in cloth in a manger... That he would end his life unfolding cloth in a tomb. Do you see it? That he would rise. That he would stand. That he would walk out of that tomb alive again. Alive again. And so in light of Luke chapter 2, this morning, friend... Do you not praise the name of Jesus that against the night sky news that light of the world had come and that to a group of dodgy men tamed in sheep news that the good shepherd was here. Do you see, friends, do you see there is abundant, lasting, eternal joy available to you at Christmas. And it's only available to you in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. This Christmas, join your voice to the heavenly choir and let us all praise the name of Almighty, Eternal God. Let's pray.